This episode of I Save That Podcast is made possible by the AVA Academy, debuting in early 2019 from the Association for Vascular Access. AVA Academy is where you'll find the best-in-class, cutting-edge vascular access education from pick insertion to our ultrasound-guided peripheral IV course. For more information, subscribe to the I Save That Podcast, follow AVA on any social media platform, and become an AVA member today. Hello and welcome to episode one of season three of the I Save That podcast. This is Eric Sager, joined as always by AVA Director of Clinical Education, Judy Thompson. For this inaugural 2020 episode of the podcast, we welcome the three newest members of the AVA Board Directors, Dr. Monty Harville, Tanya Heim, and Shelly DeVries. An interventional radiologist, Dr. Harville currently serves as the Vice Chief in the Department of Radiology and Medical Director of special procedures at Harper University Hospital, which is one of eight hospitals that compose the Detroit Medical Center, and is the Vice President of Patient Services and Chief Nursing Officer at Memorial Hospital and Healthcare Center in Jasper, Indiana. Tanya led the implementation of a vascular access services department at her hospital, which then led to improved access to pick and midline placement, as well as a reduced number of sticks to achieve venous access, which is applaud you for that. That's all. We all strive for that. And finally, Shelly DeVries, who has been on the podcast before, has focused her career on infection control within vascular access. Her background in hospital and molecular epidemiology led to an interest in improving safety and the outcomes associated with all types of vascular access devices. She's currently the Senior Infection Control Officer at Methodist Hospitals in Gary, Indiana. Shelly, Tanya, Monty, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the I Save That Podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks, Eric. Good morning. This is Judy. I welcome you as well to the podcast, and I welcome you to Ava, the, especially Tanya, Monty, a little bit, but Tanya, as you're our, our third Tanya on the board. Yeah, isn't that interesting? <laughs> I spent most yeah, of my you... life not knowing another Tanya, and now I'm on a board with three of us. <laughs> Go figure. I know they yeah. gave you the, the kind of uh, nickname T3. Which, yes, I'm T3. I love that one. Let's get into a little bit of the, the content of the show today. Shelly and um, Monty, Tanya, I'm going to ask you just a few questions and so we can get to know you and our members can get to know you a little better. So when you joined the board, how did you find out about AVO and what were some of the goals you had coming onto the board of directors? And Shelly, I'm going to start with you. Well, thanks. Judy. Um, I've been involved with Ava in varying roles, you know, mainly that of attending conferences, speaking at conferences. I've, I've been involved on the PIV task force and some of the patient advocacy side. So I have long felt that there's nothing I wouldn't do for Ava. There's nothing I wouldn't do to see how I could help advance vascular access. And coming from a somewhat non-traditional background, I hope I can bring some of that professional diversity uh, even more to the forefront of the organization, make sure we are speaking you know, across all practice settings. And through that, I'm the board liaison for CONFIG, if I can do a little plug there, but also continue to bring data to the forefront, understanding how we can measure our outcomes, measure our performance so that we can improve patient safety. Excellent. And great plug for CONFIG, by the way. Do you want to go in a little <laughs> bit into what CONFIG is? 
Because it sounds like you're going to be working with um, prisoners somewhere. <laughs> well, I, don't, I, I need to review that description a little bit more clearly, but um, Kunzig is our continuum of care special interest group, one of the newer special interest groups with AVA. We've got an awesome group working together to move us forward, really thinking about vascular access beyond the, the four walls of acute care and going on into all post-acute care settings for vascular access, whether we're looking at, at clinics or long-term care or nursing homes. One of the things we'll be working on through our strategic goals is actually looking at the vascular access resource guide and how we can adapt it to adopt it in our post-acute care setting. So I'm just thrilled to be working with that team. And we're so excited to have you as well. Monty, we're going to move on to you and our interventional radiologist. How did we get you involved with us? See, I, I became uh, you know, a part of vascular access when I took my job 22 years ago. So vascular access has always been a part of my, my practice. And about 10 years ago or so, I was um, given the opportunity to oversee the vascular access team and became more involved in, in, with, with vascular access um, uh, in support of that team. And uh, about three or four years ago, I heard about AVA and went to a conference and started to get a little bit more involved. So I've not been a part of AVA for more than three years, but I've been at each of the uh, uh, scientific meetings each year. And I've enjoyed myself there and learned a lot, so I wanted to get a little bit more involved. Last year, I met uh, Ken Symington he, as the uh, president and also an interventional radiologist. He asked me to get more involved, and he uh, helped uh, arrange an opportunity to get, uh, to get a position on the board, uh, just at least giving me an option, an opportunity to uh, run for the board, uh, uh, something that I very much appreciate and uh, want to get more involved um, on the physician level with the vascular access community. So my goals uh, for being on, while I'm on the board is to increase the awareness of the role of vascular access in, in our patient care amongst the uh, physician community, trying to uh, bring on a um, uh, to improve the physician relationships and, and help uh, develop physician champions for our vascular access teams amongst the various disciplines that I think are involved here, including emergency physicians, uh, maybe surgeons or critical care, and, and hopefully interventional radiologists. So my, my goal is to, um, is to go back to the uh, Society of Interventional Radiology and also to work uh, with other uh, physician groups to try to increase the awareness of what the vascular access specialty team is to patient care and how much we can be involved and, uh, and how I believe that, uh, that it should be a consultative specialty service. And, uh, and, and to that end, I'm going to try to push that amongst the physician leadership so that they will get more involved in, uh, in vascular access. Monty, I'm excited to hear what you just said about the consultative service. It's something I've believed in for years, and I'm excited that that is one of your, your missions to help bring that into more of the view for a lot of the, our physician partners out there. So I applaud you. This is exciting. Well, thank you. I hope I can uh, be the, the right liaison to, to bring just a little bit more awareness and hopefully more involvement from potential physician champions, because these teams need to have physician backing, uh, whether whether we like it or not. I mean, I, I you know I believe that my team uh, can can take care of, of patients on their own. That um, for the most part, I just uh, provide a backup. And um, uh, but for the most part, they should be a consultative service and should be uh, applauded and, and uh, welcomed in the medical medical community as such. So I'll I'll be looking towards that. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. That's exciting. Well, Thank you. You're welcome. Tanya, I'm going to move yeah. on to T3. So, 
want to hear about how you heard about Ava, um, a couple of your goals, but also I, I'd love to hear about your background and being on boards. I know you've you've served on multiple boards and you do right now, but I think it'd right. be really interesting to hear about what it is to be a, a truly involved as a board of director. Well, let me start with how I got involved with Ava. Um, I had I was fortunate to have an incredible vascular access nurse, Mickey Hawes, which many people know, and she invited me to consider being on the Ava board and bring my experience as an executive and also um, as a board member. Uh, I've I recently retired at the end of 2019 um, and as a CNO and honestly wouldn't have had time for this if I were still working full time. Um, but I've been a nurse for over 50 years. And um, in fact, when I uh, graduated from nursing school 50 some years ago, 50 and a half, um, we were starting IVs with steel needles. And everybody, I was thinking about this this morning, uh, back then everybody had an arm board <laughs> that they were taped to so that they didn't <laughs> dare move their arm and dislodge that IV that was uh, tricky to get in. So uh, anyway, fast forward, uh, Mickey invited me to be on the board. And um, for me, it was uh, an opportunity to give back after a a long and uh, great career. I've been fortunate to have done lots of different things in my career from OB to surgery to infection prevention and corporate compliance and contracts and a uh, number of things before I moved into a, a CNO role. And I've been fortunate to be on, have been invited to be on boards for many, many years. I felt very honored uh, to be considered uh, for it. I would say that uh, my goals, I'm certainly not the subject matter expert when it comes to vascular access. I knew how to get things approved. Uh, I knew how to present the data to the administrative team um, so that they would invest some resources in our program. I think my goal for the organization is really to help bring some of that experience, the board experience and the executive experience to the discussion so that at the end of my term, AVA as an organization is a stronger organization because I really believe in the power of a, a strong organization and how it carries a profession forward. And hopefully I can contribute to that. I, I know you will. As you three were talking, Monty, you do do vascular access, but Tanya Shelley, you don't. And all three of you bring a different perspective, but are also trying are working on a consultative service. And you've you've brought in either by Tanya, you've found a way to bring in the resources and lead a team from above. And Monty, through your leadership with the team and, and Shelly, you've always been an advocate since I've met you into vascular access. But how do we get other people like you? so invested and involved in our specialty. You know, I would say my experience is one <clears throat> over the years of learning to tell the story. Um, I know I joke and I'm joked about a lot about my passion for data and statistics and using data to persuade. But I think the important part for a lot of our clinicians 
is connecting the data to the story, the story of the patient, the story of the human, hopefully a story with a great outcome, but learning from those stories when they don't tell the ending that we hope to hear, really connecting people to how our care impacts the patients on the under, other end of the angel, the patients in the bed. For me, that has been some of the most impactful work I've been able to do within my organization and through the opportunities I've had outside of my organization is connecting people to their outcomes or to the things that we've we've played a part of good and bad. And I think when we could rally around the patients, when we could rally around those humans, um, the energy is really um, incredible. Thanks, Shelley. That's great. I wholeheartedly agree. You know, for me, I see a lot of end-stage venous access uh, after other uh, after we're no longer able to put things in the arms and uh, and we get, get central occlusions and eventually end up into uh, more and more challenging procedures to get vascular access on these patients. And so, to me, prevention is is the is the key, and and that comes through proper maintenance and proper um, selection and proper device uh, selection and patient selection and, and, and vein selection and, and so many other things that, that uh, we, need to make, uh, we need to make other individuals aware of how important vascular access is to the care of the patient long term. So to me, I think it's just mostly awareness and trying to get to people and, and have them recognize that this is a specialty, that this is something that deserves, uh, the, uh, that, uh, deserves some attention and uh, needs to be recognized. I just want to say oh, what, what you said resonates with me so much. And I think it's actually Ramsey, our former CEO, who to me brought that concept of vascular access is the gateway to almost all healthcare. And we don't yes, always is. think about that. You know, we, we in our world, in our specialty, of course, it's top of mind. But I think that's such a powerful thought and concept and so true and something that we can rally people behind. It's not just an IV. It's not just a pick. This is, this is what gets us everything else our patients need for their health and recovery. That's right. It's central to care. <laughs> that is a true fact. <laughs> And it's one of the chief complaints. That was, that was a good pun, Dr. Harville. Oh, well thanks. done. <laughs> you know, and it's also one of the chief complaints of the patients in the hospital when they have a less than stellar experience with their vascular access. Yes. So, Tanya, how did you get involved at the CNO level in vascular access? Because I think that's really one of the places where we're missing the boat as having the C-suites intimately involved in this, this specialty. Well... For me, um, what what really got my attention was that one of my directors, one of my nursing directors, came to me with data, as Shelley always talks about data, uh, came to me with data of how many times we had patients with multiple sticks just to get access. And... Um, I was appalled at, at our data. Uh, and then the second factor that really got me fired up, I guess, for making a change in, in our organization was our uh, PIC data. Uh, we're a, we're a, a, a medium-sized rural hospital. We, we are rural, but we're about 150 beds. And um, we had a you know, pretty robust, Average daily census, 
but we were hardly ever starting a pick. And yet we had large numbers of multiple sticks, like multiple, multiple, uh, that I found very alarming. And so as she and I, you know, looked at this data and uh, talked about what we might do to make a change in that and and provide better care for the patients, because for me, uh, and I would say probably for every CNO out there, I mean, a CNO has to be a nurse, and so the patient is your concern. You know, as a CNO, when you sit in that executive meeting, um, you're there advocating for the patient. Uh, but you also have to do it within your budgetary guidelines, and you have to be able to tell the story, as Shelley said, uh, to show that uh, expenditures actually save you money. I mean, I, there, it's, an, it's an investment, not an expense uh, in vascular access. And so that was really at, at my hospital where we got things moving and, um, you know, in looking at the data and then trying to find someone to, to lead up a team and get, you know, get people trained up and, and continued to move it, um, along and, we were able to see a huge impact in in those results, in the patient results. And so, you know, that results are um, an important factor here. Uh, you, can, you can throw all kinds of money at a problem, but if you don't get results, if you're not getting the results that you need, then you can't justify that. You know, something's wrong with, with your approach if you're not getting results. And you know, good vascular access nurses always get results. Whether they always document those results, uh, that's probably um, maybe where a gap is at times is, you know, asking the right questions, getting the right data, presenting it in the right way so it's easy to understand, uh, and, um, you know, then making sure that somebody is, um, you know, that that data is getting in front of somebody that can make a difference. Well, do you know where else that data can go? Java, <laughs> the Journal of the Association for Vascular Access, or perhaps Vascular IQ. How did I know that you were going to say that, Shelley? You were just you're just on it as always. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I hear a trend here that you know we have to have data. I've heard that before from a couple of people. On data, data, data. Especially on I this have. podcast, I've also heard that. I know, I know. But um, physician champion, <clears throat> having them involved, having um, at least some visibility in the C-suite, and then um, I think we went back to data. So I um, I encourage everybody listening to, if you're not collecting data, you must. For the safety of your team, for the safety of your job, for the safety of our patients, um, and God we trust, all others bring data. So um, I appreciate each and every one of you on this this podcast today. So um, Tanya, Monty, Shelley, thank you. I um, anything else you'd like before we leave? Anything else you'd like to um, tell our listeners? I'm just really looking forward to, um, you know, the year as it unfolds and and, uh, to work with the board and uh, our initiative. So I felt very honored to be invited and 
and I'm excited about being a part of it. I also look forward to seeing what we can do in the next couple of years to improve and advance uh, uh, patient care through vascular access. I will echo that. I am, I am absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to serve on the board of our organization. I also serve as co-president of my local network and will always say I am so happy to talk and to share and to help troubleshoot wherever I can from my perspective with any of our members who are just looking for a way to move forward and get better. Well, thank you. You guys were, are wise beyond your, your years <laughs> and so helpful for the folks that listen. So um, thanks for the time this morning. Thank you. Appreciate the yeah, opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so Order. much. This episode of I Save That Podcast is made possible by the AVA Academy, debuting early in 2019 from the Association for Vascular Access. AVA Academy is where you'll find the best-in-class, cutting-edge vascular access education, from pick insertion to our ultrasound-guided peripheral IV course. As always, you'll still be able to pick up CE credits through JAVA articles each quarter and by attending virtual sessions from scientific meetings. AVA Academy takes vascular access education to the next level. We are developing insertion, care and maintenance courses for the full spectrum of vascular access devices and procedures. AVA Academy is open to the public and AVA members will receive significant discounts on all education. For more information, subscribe to I Save That Podcast, follow AVA on any social media platform and become an AVA member today. And we'd like to welcome back to the show, friend of the podcast, Lee Steer, a certified registered nurse infusion who is also vascular access board certified. Lee spoke at the 2019 AVA scientific meeting in Las Vegas, so many of you listening may have sat in on his presentation. Uh, he has been leading the IV team at Hartford Hospital for going on 16 years now, and he's here to chat with us a little bit about that work. Lee, welcome back. Thank you, Eric. Nice to be uh, nice to be back. Hi, Lee. So Hi, Judy. We, we just... Hi. <laughs> I um, just looked over one of your presentations again for a network. It's beautiful. So I'm excited. So Lee, we were talking to Shelly DeVries, Monty Harville, and Tanya Hine, our new board members, and a um, consistent theme on how you get practice to a higher level, how you impact patients in a positive manner. Part of it's through data and uh, always leadership. So I know you've done a lot of really good things at your hospital, and I was, I'm really interested to talk to you about how you got there and share with our listeners on maybe some stepwise actions they could take to be able to improve practice and get more FTEs. I would love to talk about that. So basically, um, you know, I've been doing vascular access, as Eric said, for, you know, this is working on my 16th year, and, you know, vascular access has changed so much. Not in the, you know, with products, with you know, new medical devices, um, better technology in terms of vein visualization, ultrasound, um, longer IV catheters, and all of this, and to my, to me, is is very important. You know, because really, in order to um, you know do the right thing for our patients, sometimes we have to give them the best devices that may be out there. So, you know, for years, I've watched the evolution of IV therapy, but I've also watched what type of uh, 
knowledge nurses are walking into from from the from the school setting and they they come in here with no iv practice they don't understand iv therapy and and to me again and i say this all the time iv therapy is an art and a science and really truly should be treated as a specialty and how do we get back to that point so you know nurses are coming in no experience i've watched the quality of the insertions go down even with you know um, education on teaching nurses best practice and evidence-based so what we had decided to do at the hospital here was to try to it all started with wanting to go to clinically indicated and based off of some of the things that I had seen over the years um, of where IVs were placed and, the, and what they look like I was not convinced and, 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 and satisfied with going to clinically indicated just based off of you know what um, a lot of people would do um, from the you know statements that were made in the 2016 INS guidelines, clearly my staff just were not, the, or the staff in the hospital were not assessing sites uh, well enough to be leaving in there clinically indicated. So we wanted to, we did a study, and and to me, really what brought on the success of our program here and what allowed us to grow our team, it was all about data collection. Um, we did it very officially, so we did a study, IRB approved, um, comparing quality of a site and the duration that it'll it'll last if it's done by an expert use an ultrasound and better medical technology um, you know the, the anti-reflux needles connector using a dressing that is securement features with with a chx um, chlorhexidine integrated into the clear film part um, because we wanted to make sure that if we were going to go clinically indicated that we were also protecting all the sites from all the potential complications that can occur infiltration phlebitis, infection, occlusion, or inadvertent removal. So we based all our uh, bundled interventions on ways to make sure that we were protecting those sites for as long as we could get them in. Now, the data collection is, is always, and I think everybody will agree, it's a little bit of a challenge with the medical rec medical um, electronic medical record systems that are out there. We use Epic here. Um, you know, it is a great system, but it still is hard to get real-time quality data. We're always going retrospective. So when we actually did the study, the sponsor had, um, I worked with the sponsor and we created an iPad app. So what we were allowed, what, what it allowed us to do was actually go in, take a picture of the IV site, and then answer a multitude of questions on what did the site look like? How was the dressing? How was it taped? Whatever it may be, once the catheter failed, we took a picture of it. We documented the reason for the catheter failure. We documented all the patient medications that they were on at the time. So we could try to correlate all that with the, with the um, actual reason why the catheter might have failed. And by doing that, you know, we had data. We had photos to back up the data that we were collecting and you know going to my my cno to say hey you know here's what current state is these are what our sites look like and here's what future state could look like if you allow you know an, an expert who is knowledgeable in iv to put these sites in and and, and clearly you know the financial analysis that i had given to my cno which we had agreed on so we had actually made a plan to say okay well how are we going to evaluate the cost savings in this because nowhere out there is there any literature that really talks about anyone who's ever figured out how much iv therapy is costing their their beds per year so 
it, it really helped to have the pictures, as, as my CNO said to me, you know, a picture, or as I said to her, a picture is worth a thousand words, even though she was uh, quite stunned by what I showed her. And probably, as she said, I wish I didn't have to see those. And I said, oh, but you need to, because this is, you know, real time. That Having that app and having that ability to collect that data and put it into a spreadsheet was absolutely very important for us. Um, and we continue to do this, um, not so much in the peripheral IVs at this point in time. We're going to work with our IT to figure out how we can collect the right data that we need. But we do it, um, for example, on our, our TPA usage. One of the things that we did quite a few years ago, one of our first publications was on um, our TPA, our occlusion, central line occlusion management program and reducing our TPA usage. That stuff we still track and we can, we can get real-time data on that. So that is all, that's how, it's just showing value. How do you show value that a team can save money? Um, and it really is all about collecting rock solid data to support your case. Absolutely. And um... wow. That was, that was intense. Wow. <laughs> that sounds extensive. I, I'm impressed. Lee, how how big was your sample size so of our your study? Sample, so basically, we had about 210 sites. We didn't, it wasn't really a patient. We had 125 patients. We monitored, I think it was 94 sites that were put in by ED staff or EMS staff versus, um, I think it was 100 and 114 that we had put in using the bundled approach. And again, we had an 89, 89% of the IVs we put in lasted from the beginning to the end of therapy, whereas only 15% of the control group or group one, we called them, um, their sites only lasted from the beginning to the end 15% of the time. We also had a lower complication rate of 11% versus the 40% on group one. And you know, with our cost savings, we we estimated or projected, I should say, that we could save the hospital 2.9 million a year, or uh, 3,000, I think, 3,376 dollars per bed um, for IV therapy a year. So a, a good savings. A lot of that was uh, savings on nursing time. Um, and what we did with that, and, and of course, a lot of CNOs, CFOs will argue, well, nursing time is a soft cost, meaning that. Right. You know, I told them I'd save them 33,000 hours of nursing time that could be used in different ways, but it's not like we eliminated that many hours from the nursing budget. But what we did, and because we can, because we're a larger hospital, we, we have this ability, we just reallocated some of the FTs from other departments and put it into ours. So we never increased the nursing budget and nobody even knew that we were shaving, you know, portions of an FT off their budget because it was just such a small portion of it because the hospital is so big and so many units. So that makes That's sense. That's impressive. So, so it's, just um, being, it's being creative. It's being strategic. It's, you know, understanding what your CNO, your CFO want to hear. Um, you know, and I, I think now's the time. I think there's a lot more attention. I And I, I felt it at AVA this year and talking to people. I think people are starting to listen and starting to understand that, you know, IV affects everybody. 90% of all patients are in hospitalized patients are going to end up with an IV and 50% of those IVs are going to fail to make it to the end of therapy. You know, and, 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 and one of the things that we also looked at the hospital was how many catheters are we buying a year? And when you look at your catheter consumption based on your number of admissions, you'll be, you'll be surprised. It's a very, very high number 
of IVs that you're buying at your facilities. 100%, you're right. When you did your study on the year control group or group one, as you said, how did you um, get or encourage accurate data on how many sticks to get an IV in? Yeah, so that wasn't easy. And we didn't accurately count that on group one um, because it's, it's not documented. You know, it's, it's unfortunate. We try, right. you know, but it's not. So the only thing we could do was look at the, our, our, the IVs that we put in and, and, and evaluate our first success on that. So unfortunately, we were not, we were not able to compare group one to group two in terms of you know, first success. We could only evaluate our own. I was hoping you had a magic Ouija board on that one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, still working on that. <laughs> okay, I appreciate that. So yeah. one more question for you before we let you go, and I appreciate all this information. If um, another facility, another clinician was trying to emulate what you're doing, where can they find some of your information? So I, I've, I've published a couple articles. I, I believe my first one was in the, I, I think it was in 2015, maybe 2016 Java. It was on our occlusion management program. Um, there's a lot of great information there. And my last study was just published in the fall edition of, of Java. Um, and it really, it's quite a, quite a it's article. Um, I would definitely suggest you read it two or three times. Um, there's a lot of good information in there. Um, people can also reach out to me directly. We actually have a website, um, PIV5Rights website, that they can go on. They can put in their contact information, write some comments, and we'll um, we'll contact them. I'm always willing to help, and it's really, again, this is for me. It's about the patient, and I'd love to see vascular access teams get back because you know it is it is absolutely a specialty. So any way I can help anyone, I would love to be able to have that opportunity. Amazing. And thank you so much. And thank um, you. I, I do, I do recommend your article from the fall journal. It, it's amazing. So if anybody out there listening has not read it, you're missing out. <laughs> Go give it a you read. You can also check out the other articles from that issue as well as the winter one. And then we're working on the spring one right now. Just a little plug there as my other positions. So. <laughs> Good job. Absolutely. <laughs> thanks, Eric. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Lee. It was great work. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you both. It was great to talk. Uh, great to talk to both of you again. Thanks, Lee. As spring slowly approaches, the Ava Network calendar continues to fill up with meetings. Join Huvan on Wednesday, February 12th in Houston for its first meeting of the new year, sponsored by Ava Enterprise Partner Medline. Bethany Sidlowski leads and educational offerings surrounded on gaining confidence in intraosseous access. One CE is available. A week later in Columbus on the 19th, GoVan hosts Dr. Greg Shears, who will share for the very first time his presentation titled The YO on the IO. Dr. Shears is set to lead the discussion on the topic, which is growing in popularity within vascular access. Again, sponsored by Medline, one CE is available. Also on Wednesday, February 19th, Norvan welcomes Caroline Draper to Sacramento. Caroline will discuss the emerging evidence on extended dwell peripheral IVs, a new tool in the vascular access toolbox. Sponsored by Access Scientific, another ABIT industry partner, 1C is pending approval for this dinner meeting, which begins at 6.30 p.m. Then on Thursday, February 20th, Dr. Jack Ledun invades ASVAN's first meeting of 2020 in Tempe, Arizona, where he will review the relationship between insertion and care and maintenance as it pertains to quality improvement within vascular access. The meeting is sponsored by Eloquest, and one CE is pending approval for it, which is scheduled for 6.30 p.m.
You can see the entire AVA network calendar on the AVA website at www.avainfo.org, which is also where you can join AVA or donate to the AVA Foundation. AVA is all over social media. You can follow the Association for Vascular Access on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Make sure you're subscribed to the I Save That podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Google Play Music for our Android users. You can also find direct links to all episodes on each of these streaming services by visiting avainfo.org slash podcast. We'd like to thank new AVA directors at large, Shelley DeVries, Tanya Heim, and Dr. Monty Harville for joining us for this episode to discuss the upcoming year. And thank you again to Lee Steer for sharing the innovations he and his team have worked on and are working on at Hartford Hospital. Thank you to all of our loyal listeners, and thanks as always to Dabney Coleman. The topics discussed on the I Save That podcast are purely for informational purposes. You should personally seek the guidance of clinicians before making any decision that affects your health or the health of, of your patients. Listeners of this podcast are advised to do their own due diligence when it comes to making vascular access decisions. Our goal is to inform and entertain the healthcare landscape while giving you a starting point for your discussions with your own clinicians and professional advisors. By listening to this podcast, you agree that the hosts, our guests, our sponsors, and the Association for Vascular Access are not responsible for the success or failure of your health, your career, or any decision you make related to any of the information we have presented. The I Save That podcast contains segments of copyrighted music that was not specifically authorized to be used, but is protected by federal law and the fair use doctrine, as cited in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Act. If you have any specific concerns about this broadcast or our position on fair use defense, please contact us at podcast at avainfo.org. No part of this broadcast shall be reproduced, transmitted, or sold in whole or in any part or in any form without prior written consent from the Association for Vascular Access.